You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I'm Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley. I want to welcome you all in and say thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If it's your first time here, thank you so much. If you're watching on YouTube, you can subscribe to the channel here. We have more than just a podcast. We do video breakdowns before each matchup and probably have some more content coming as well. Uh, like this video if you're watching it. Share it. All that stuff for YouTube. You turn on the notifications. I, I believe we should hopefully be able to have the ability to send notifications out for new videos already, if not soon. If you're listening to this on audio, you can subscribe to us everywhere you get your podcast or an Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, you name it. We're there. And we're also on Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Gene, it's good to see you again, buddy. You, our listeners probably don't know this, but we, you and I usually, when we do podcasts, do actually see each other on video. But this is the first time we're actually doing a, a, a video podcast together, like actually having the video on YouTube. But last few times you've been on the road and stuff and haven't actually seen you. So it's good to see you, man. Yeah, and of course, it's it's perfect that I'm sitting in a car while we're doing this, but I'm stationary for a while, so it's uh, certainly good to kind of remember what each other looks like in, in real life. Um, well, although this technically isn't real life, I guess this is 2022 real life and looking <laughs> at each other through Zoom, and uh, I'm sorry to all the people who are watching and seeing my ugly face for real. Man, you are surprised by what you just saw, and I'm sorry about that. But yeah, I was going to say, this we is are, probably... Man, we're here to grace and- this is probably the first time a lot of people have seen you and unless they you know follow you on Twitter and happen to see, you know, your your profile on there and stuff or all the pictures that Trey Wallace or Troy or whomever post of you staying behind players back in the back when you covered UT. My security guard days. Uh good times. <laughs> I think I actually cropped one with me and Toto uh the other day that he said and I just thought it was too funny because I literally looked like his his security at that point, but Hey, I am a person. I am real. I have a voice. Uh, I have a face. And uh, I have thoughts, which are not always a good combination, but it's going to be the combination today. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about today in this episode because we haven't re- recorded since the last couple of games. We haven't recorded since the LSU game. And obviously the South Carolina game just happened uh, on Wednesday or on Tuesday night. Excuse me. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. And we've got a big game coming up this weekend where, where Tennessee takes on Kentucky. So... Three, two two games have happened, a big game coming up, and a lot of talking points to kind of have with all of those and with the upcoming games. So I, I wanted also to ask people on Twitter what they what they kind of wanted us to discuss because there's so much to talk about. It's like I know I have ideas, like things I want to talk about, but I, I want to know kind of what people are really wanting to hear. So if you're watching this video now, then you'll you'll see this, but I'll have the questions from the tweets posted on here so you can kind of quote unquote see yourself on camera if you want to. So if you're listening to this podcast and not watching it, go check out the YouTube video and you can see if you've asked a question, you'll, your your tweet will appear on the screen here in just a second. So Gene, there's, there's several different things that, I, that you and I were talking before we were recording here that I think we'll go ahead and like, we'll get brought up regardless of, of what we're doing here. I'm going to start with the one that I think will generate the most discussion and probably ties in, I think, possibly to the other two, three main questions we have. That is from uh, KBES51 on Twitter, who asks... Barnes' approach to play rotation, asking if there's something they, they, they wanted to know about. Uh, we have a deep bench. Is he using it effectively? And if not, how could he do better? And by the way, this is not a play BHH 
Brandon Huntley Hatfield, more question. I'm thinking big picture here. And I think it's a good question because one of the last episodes we did, Gene, we talked about specifically with Victor Bailey Jr. and Justin Powell and their playing time and whatnot. And we've seen since that that game, since the... uh, uh, whatever game it was now, Ole Miss, or one before that, actually, I think maybe against Alabama. Uh, Powell's got more playing time, and Bailey hasn't. But I, I want to talk more. We, we can talk, ob- obviously, more about specific players, whether, you, you know, Jemai Meshack, I, I think he, he performs well when he's in there, or Brandon Huntley Hatfield, even though I know that's what KBS said he wasn't specifically asking about, but that is definitely a name to talk about, too. But Powell's played more minutes than Bailey lately. But Powell doesn't shoot when he's in the game. That's my. It's it's interesting, and, and I, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because he's a guy who's a a guard who's supposed to be a shooter, who didn't attempt a, a single shot in 20 minutes against uh, South Carolina on Tuesday, and against LSU he played how many minutes did he play against LSU? He played. I lost him 10 minutes, and he shot one shot and had a foul and two turnovers and a block. And against South Carolina he was in there for 20 minutes, zero shots, no assists in any of these games either. A turnover, two rebounds, and a block. You have guys like Urosh Plashek, who's playing around the same amount of minutes, if not a little a little more, a little less, give or take here and there, who's attempting a lot more shots in a game than, than Powell is. And that's not the knock Urosh, because I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, typically you think of post players not being the high-volume shooters. And Urosh hasn't been a high-volume shooter, but he was 5 of 8 against LSU, and actually he had a really good game against LSU, 12 rebounds, or 12.7 rebounds in that game. Um, and then against South Carolina, he didn't make a shot, but he attempted three shots. And he was also 0 of 2 from the free throw line, which uh, don't get me started on the free throws in that game. Um, but he played he played 15 minutes, didn't have any points, but had three boards and 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 a steal. Gene, I is it? I, I think this team, I think specifically with Powell, and I think I've, I've heard a lot of talk over the past week about the mentality of this team. And if are they are they scared mentally? Are they hesitant? Whatever you know, timid, whatever word you want to use. Is it a mental thing with Powell? Because I think it might be because he's got a good stroke. Same thing with Victor Bailey. Same thing with Josiah. I I think Josiah finally had a a pretty good game and wasn't just shooting threes against South Carolina. But man, is it a mental thing with with Powell? Because I I look at, you know, the style of play he had at Auburn was obviously very different than the style of offense that's run at Tennessee. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it. Is it more of a style of play thing? Is it more of a mentality thing? What, what are your What's your take on the fact that Powell's playing, not shooting, and then also to go back to the, the estimating part of the question is like is Barnes utilizing his bench correctly here as we stand about midway through January? Right. So here's kind of the concern. I don't think they're as deep as um, I, I guess the perception is of this team. Uh, to, to answer, I think the initial question. I, I think you've got your starting five. Um, they're, they're trying, he's trying hard to give Brendan Huntley Hatfield chances. Um, obviously, Ziegler is coming off the bench. Either Bailey or Powell is coming off the bench in Euros. That's kind of the eight that you, you, you appear to be really comfortable with. Uh, you know, obviously, Chandler, Fulkerson, Olivier, uh, Vescovy, uh, James, Ziegler, either Bailey or Powell in Euros. That's kind of your eight. Um, he put, he throws Meshack in there for a minute or two in the first half and then doesn't play again. Um, he, he's trying to figure out something between Bailey and Powell. And here's the problem with Powell. Like when I, I mean, if you always say, if you listen to this podcast enough, I like to speak a lot more on the psyche of the situation more so than 
the actual situation. So here, this is just my belief when it comes to Powell. Um, he, he's in Knoxville. He's playing for Tennessee. It's a completely different system. Um, this is a, you're playing for a coach who harps defense over offense. You know, it was just like three games ago. People wanted to see more of them. Well, when I think the media in Knoxville asked, you know, what is it going to take to get him more playing time? And the answer was he's got to focus more on the defensive side. So now this kid is so overly focused on the defensive side. I don't think he cares what happens offensively. Yeah, and this is, you know, I think this is just kind of a rut that he's in. He's got to figure out the defense offense aspect of the game. Like you could, he's focused a lot on offense. But he didn't play. Now he's focusing a lot more defense, but he's not shooting. And he's kind of has to figure out like the in between of all that stuff to where he can, you know, be effective offensively but yet still do his focus on the defensive side because that's going to get you on the court. Because, again, I think that it appears to me from when I've watched Tennessee play that Barnes is really – there's certain people he's really trying to give chances to. There's two in particular, Huntley Hatfield and Powell. He's trying hard. And what how they handle that is going to be indicative of how, how that – you know, who gets that time. I mean, like – it, it, you know, I don't think anybody expected Eros to have the year he's having. Nobody expected that. And as a result of that, now, you know, like it, it's kind of made it easier to not play Huntley Hatfield. I'm not sure the the way that Tennessee plays, I'm not sure that playing Huntley Hatfield is all that different from playing Eros. It just looks different. It looks better, I guess you could say. Um, but if you, you know, if we're going to ask about the rotation, um, Maybe for me personally, I'd go more Ziegler. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. For me personally, um, I I don't think you can play that kid enough. Like I would, I don't want to necessarily turn the keys over to him because you do have Chandler. And yes, I'm saying in lieu of Chandler minutes. I mean, you can play them both together. I don't care. But what's going to happen again? And look, we saw it Saturday night. Good teams are going to look at that little five nine. You know, I guess Chandler's what six six feet, and Vescovy. They're gonna look at that lineup and say, "It's hey, Shaq." As Shaq used to say, "It's barbecue chicken," because it's not like there's a great defender out of that group. I guess you could say that uh, Ziegler's the best. Vescovy knows where to be, mm-hmm. and he makes good plays in that regard. And and I guess the jury's still out on, on Chandler, but it's not like you've got like some elite defender out of those three, which is why I think you're trying. You're seeing some of the Mayshack minutes because. After a while, Barnes is just going to look and say, look, we've got guys that can put the ball in the basket. But do we have guys – Do I can I find eight guys that are willing to defend for 40 minutes the way that I'm asking them to? And that's going to be determined. That's going to determine who gets that playing time, which is why I think you're seeing a little bit of Mayshacky chaff. Because it's really easy, you know, when Barnes turns on that film, he's, you know, perhaps the thought process is, you know, Powell, Powell Bailey – you're not, I mean, you, you have kind of a step over Meshack, but look at, you know, look at exactly what he's doing every single possession when he's out on the court. Um, that's what I need from you all. And look, he shouldn't have to say that to, uh, to Bailey. Shouldn't. Mm-hmm. What, six-year singer, fifth-year singer, something like that? He shouldn't have to say it, but that's, this is where we are. And again, I also think after a while you saw who you are. I think that's what Bailey is now, but He's got some. He's got some potential there with Powell, but he can't figure out how to get that kid to shoot the ball or play defense the way at the same time. Um, so 
I, I'm not sure if there's any sort of rotational differences because I think how, I think the way Barnes plays is how you know these younger guys how you play in the first half like Huntley Hatfield Powell those two primarily how you play in the first half will show how much you play in the second half that'll determine how much you play in the second half now mm-hmm. look you're going to need extra bodies this year because with COVID you just never know when somebody's just going to just be out. So you kind of want to, you know, you want to see some of these kids show up because you may, I mean, you've, you've played without Fulkerson, you've played without Chandler. There are potentially, there'll be other people. Let's just call it what it is. So you want to see some of those other guys figured out. But I, look, for me personally, I'm perfectly okay with the rotations because he's given the guys the opportunities that are kind of earning them in practice and earning them every single time they step on the court. And if, if Powell can figure out how to play defense and offense at the exact same time while he's on the court, he's going to play more. That's going to take care of itself. I think my thing, and I, I know like we, we could have done a, a quick podcast like the Sunday or Monday after the LSU game because it was, we, we could have had, for me especially, like a reactionary thing and that would have gotten, you know, probably more listens than maybe even this one will or, or whatever. But I, I'm not big on the reactionary stuff. I like to like try to... I guess digest and let things settle and like take in my, my thoughts. And I, I, I'm not big on the reactions. Like I, I, I'll, I'll probably do at some point here on on Vol Basketball Fever, like a, a post game show or whatever, just because I, I do enjoy interacting with the fans with, after those things. Um, but typically, I feel like my our, our best discussions come when I've had time to like digest it. And I also want to see like, okay, was this a one off thing? How does Tennessee respond against South Carolina? And I, I think. At the same time, I, I agree with all of the points you made. I will push back a little bit on the fact that you said you, you, that Tennessee has guys who can go out and shoot and get buckets. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen that happen in the last, what, it feels like three or four weeks at this point. But I get what you're saying. Like, defense defense is a a a, a more of a focus with Rick Barnes. Let me slightly clarify that. They mm-hmm. have guys who – they the coaches will always believe. We've trained these guys to do these things offensively. We know, we believe we can get that. Like, you can look at each guy. Like, I could tell you right now, Chandler's a good point guard. Fulgerson can, you know, one-on-one with his face in the basket is really good. Olivier can go grab offensive rebound. Bescovy, one of the top, to me, one of the top three to five shooters in the country. Josiah is a guy who can kind of give you buckets in different ways when he's actually making shots. That's what it is. And so I say that to say coaches, defensive coaches will always say, look, we've got guys who can put the ball in the basket. Do we have guys who can consistently get stops? Because, you know, they always say defense wins championships, and maybe that's slightly changing, but even your teams that win national championships, and I'm not even talking about that with Tennessee, even your teams that are playing in the March, you know, at conference tournaments, NCAA tournaments, they know how to lock down when necessary. Now, I mean, we could argue that, the the system's the issue and it's not it's 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 never going to look good as long as you're you know as long as you you don't have any sort of flow in terms of your rotation year in year out like that's a discussion that anybody can have at any time and i'm ready to have that discussion with you but um but but i mean but like yeah we could point to is the offense the the thing is it because has it looked good under Barnes, aside from the one year when everybody was back and there was the continuity continuity in the system and everybody knew what they were doing and everybody was okay with their roles, perhaps. I don't know. 
But I know that this is a team that typically averages 65, 70 points a game, and they're going to win a lot of games if they can keep their opponent to, uh, like, what, 60? Um, I, I don't know their when they score over 60 or when they don't score. or sorry, I guess 70 is the number now. I don't know what their numbers are um, when, when they do that, but I know they gave up 79 against LSU, and they got pretty much pounded for a vast majority of that game. Yeah. Uh, you know, 38 24 in the paint. You know, they had 23 points off, you know, LSU had 23 points off turnovers, 18 second chance points. That's just kind of getting dominated right there. Like, that's just a team that looks at y'all. I mean, looks at, you know, your, your personnel and says, soft. And I hate to say it, use that word, but it's kind of the truth. But, um, and LSU's just been a mad, bad matchup for Tennessee as long as Will Wade's been there because he just goes out and gets these grown men to play post players. I look that everybody, everybody listens podcast, save your jokes for how he gets his players. I know like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But those are the guys he goes out and recruits. Mm-hmm. And so it's in partly it's a bad matchup and there's certain things that Tennessee has to do differently. But um, yeah, like, that's, I'm sorry. That was the only pushback though. I mean, I guess pushback to your pushback and more of a clarification that it, it's not that, you know, that's, I'm not speaking my thought or your thought or any of the listeners thought I'm speaking to how I, how I believe Barnes is looking at it. It's like, we got guys who can put the ball in the basket. We can turn defense into offense and get our baskets in transition. We can hit, we've got guys that can hit shots. And if you get X amount of points when you, you know, in transition, if you get X amount of points off three pointers, then you're going to win a lot uh, more often than not. You're not going to beat very many teams in points in the paint. Like within, within the framework of like a half court offense, you're just not. Mm-hmm. Like you may win the battle, but that's just not how you're built. You've only got one. You've got one. You've got two guys now because your just come on. You've got two guys that you feel pretty confident can give you 15 points total. Total. Like if you're consistently getting 15 points from that position where your ocean and Fulkerson are, uh, you kind of want 20, certainly. <laughs> but if you can kind of get that, then you're going to feel you're going to look up and you're going to be in a lot of these games. They just but you also have to get some protection from outside and they're not always getting that. Yeah. And to go circle back to the original question about rotations and whatnot, I also think it's worth noting that we talked about this last podcast to Gene is, I mean, this is still a, a team that had returning guys from last year, but basically you had Vescovy returning from last year. You had Camwell, Fulkerson, James and Bailey returning from Enteros from last year. Two of those guys that were returning from last year were bench pieces, um, and, and Olivier and Urosh. And Olivier especially is now was thrust into a starting role. He's still adjusting. I, I mean, we're, what, 15 games in? It's an adjustment period to go from I've never started a game to suddenly I'm a guy who's playing 25 minutes a game, basically, or just about 25 minutes a game, and, and kind of on to start um, and be a much bigger contributor offensively and defensively, you know, consistently throughout the whole game. And then this team, like, Again, as we mentioned last week or week before last, whenever it was, the majority of the players coming off the bench for Tennessee are freshmen or you know really young players like Justin Powell, who he, he'll be 21, but which is a little older for a second-year player, but he'll be 21 in May. So like he's still like 20 and a half-ish years old, and this is his second year, but he only played 10 games in his first year. So this is only his – he's played 14 this season, so he's played a grand total of 24 games in a year and a half not a whole lot of games to really go off of and only an even smaller portion of those have been SEC games. So I think it's still a case of 
like you said, he's still trying to give minutes and still trying to give something to guys like Powell and Brandon Huntley Hatfield to like get them going and, and like you said, give them opportunities to show themselves on, on the court that they can do this. And Huntley Hatfield hasn't shown it, but I think Powell has at least shown more to, you know, get more minutes than 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 Huntley Hatfield for sure. But I think it's hard to just like it's it's too hard it's hard for me to really super criticize the rotation right this second because we're still early mid January. This is a team that had a lot of new pieces, especially bench players. You're trying to figure out you're 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 trying to figure this stuff out now. So when you get into late February into March, you have a better idea. And I, I think that we still have a whole month of play here before I really start getting too worried about that stuff. It's still it's, it's cause of concern. I, I definitely think it's worth bringing up and talking about and mentioning because it's been an issue and it's been a, a, a thing of hey, you know, this guy plays 15 minutes one game, the next game he's out there for two. Like what what's the you know it's situational that that will happen for games, but like how's a guy to like, what's he, what's he supposed to do? Like, how's he supposed to know? Like what's being asked of him? I guess. I don't know. There, there's a lot of conversation coaches have, you know, Gene, you've, you've coached AU ball and, and different stuff. And have, we've talked about before, I have a kid who's, you know, in the high school ranks. Now there's a lot of stuff that like coaches have conversations with the players that a lot of fans just don't know. Like I, I don't personally know, like, you know, all the conversations that happen with coaches and players and how that's handled and how things are handled in the locker room and on the practice court and whatnot. But I just think it's, it's, worth bringing up and that was a really good question by KBS. I don't know if we really answered it to the degree they were hoping, but I think it's it's to me it's still a little early to to super criticize the rotation, but I I think it's a really good question. I think it's something definitely to worth monitoring uh, here moving forward is is are they getting enough out of the bench and are they as deep as people maybe think they are because I think you made a good point Gene that maybe this team isn't as deep as as people think because there's talent there but having talent and actually getting the most out of that talent and actually producing worth your talent is something totally different. Um, speaking of which we, we both mentioned, or you mentioned the guy Ziegler and I've a man, I'm a huge Ziegler fan and I agree with you. Like even, even if it means eating into Kennedy Chandler's minutes, like plays the guy, man, that, that kid, he pound for pound is, is such a, just such a talented player, such a good player. He, he's played really well. Um, even an SEC play, maybe you know, LSU game, not as, as amazing, 11 minutes, three points, a rebound and uh, a turnover in that game. Only got up three shots in that game. But uh, I thought he played some exceptional minutes against South Carolina. He's out there for 22 of them. He was five of eight from the floor, one of three from three, had 11 points, four assists, four steals, and a rebound and only two turnovers. So he had a, had a you know, two to one turnover ratio, which is what you'd like to see and what you'd like to have from a point guard. I thought he played really good defense on you know guys who were taller than him and bigger than him because I mean everybody is but you know what I'm saying like he 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 doesn't he never seems scared and I thought that was never more evident than in the post game interview he gave um, with the SEC Network and he said someone asked him you know do, do you think there's a bad defensive matchup for you out there and he goes honestly no he's like I feel like I'm, I'm one of the best defenders in the country pretty bold statement from a five nine freshman but he's a five nine freshman from the Bronx and he's not back down any this year, but that, that leads into a question here from at Volgrog on Twitter is Barnes overcoaching Kennedy Chandler. And I think that's an interesting one, Gene, because I've seen a lot of talk and I don't I'm not buying into majority of it, but I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter message wars and stuff that's saying like, is Chandler being allowed to be himself? He looks, just, he looks up he like, he doesn't have emotions, all that stuff. I think that's just part of his personality is he's not like the most emotional guy, but there's been a lot of talk about, is he, you know, 
is he bought in all this different stuff? I don't know. I don't want to get into that speculation, but I think it's a good question. Is Barnes over coaching Chandler? Because we also saw the, I guess it was the Ole Miss game. Might have been LSU. I forget, forget which game it was where, um, I think it was Ole Miss, where Barnes was kind of just, let, like, I wouldn't say let him have it, but he's, he was having some pretty strong words for Chandler over on the bench. And then Josiah comes over and like tells Coach, hey, like give it a, like, give it a break, give it a rest, essentially. What do you think, Gene? As as someone who again, you have a kid who's playing in high school, you've you've done some coaching in the AAU ranks and you've obviously you played yourself, you know, back in the day too. And like you've you've seen different styles of coaching. You have, I'm sure, your own type of style you do. Do you think it's a, a case of Rick Barnes overcoaching Chandler? Because I don't I don't know that I have the knowledge to speak to it as much from you know, I've never coached. I've never played beyond what I did in middle school. So I don't I don't know that I'm the the authority on this one. I I'd be very interested for your thoughts on this. Right. Well, um, I think my initial, my, my overall initial answer is no. And I'll get into that in a bit, but I'll, let me say this. If you're, if you're a coach, everybody on your roster is different. They have to be, I don't want to say tr- not treated differently, but coach differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a player, uh, in this day and age, you knew what you signed up for. And that leads me back to why I said, no, I think he's, I think it's fine is because the fact of the matter is we're seeing this whole thing happen uh, in real time. There wasn't near, there wasn't nearly the same sort of profile on this Tennessee program. What, five, six years ago, uh, Burns was in year seven, if I recall. There wasn't nearly the profile on the program when Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bone were freshmen. And he, he mm-hmm. treated them the same way. And, like, would we be asking this question if we were fearful that of, oh, my gosh, we may not get another five-star? Well, getting five-stars hasn't exactly, you know, the greatest results in Tennessee right now anyway. Just, I mean, breaking news to a lot of people, um, I'll always say getting five-stars is not very hard in this day and age. Milwaukee has one. Um and I mean, University of Milwaukee, they're not very good this year, despite him. Um, yeah, like, but it ultimately worked out for Jordan Bone, who at least, look, regardless of what he's done with the opportunity or whatnot, regardless of people's feelings of he should have come back, he didn't. He left after a year. I mean, so he left after his junior year when his stock was probably the highest. And he heard his name called on draft day. It was an amazing scene. Everybody saw it. Um, it worked out for him. Lamonte Turner, it worked out for him. You're talking about a kid who, you know, actually worked his way. I mean, became, from what I watched, he was never a natural point guard. Bone was. Turner wasn't. And I don't I don't think that Barnes was coaching them any differently than he's coaching Kennedy Chandler now. Like, I think the thing with Kennedy Chandler is he's just, like, he's a really good player, but there's a whole basketball IQ element to what's trying to what we're trying to figure out with him like is it I mean where where, where is it at this I mean a lot of it's just feel for a freshman but I've seen a lot of times where I'm like why did you do that in that moment and that's not you know that's not Barnes being too hard on him it's always overthink we're not we're not having this isn't comparable to the whole Justin Powell situation, which I do think is just the fact the kid's in his own head. I mean, Chandler had 19 points against LSU. Did they coach him too hard that game? 
Um, not nearly as good last night, but who was? I mean, Josiah. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, Chandler struggled. He's a he's a freshman. He's a rookie. He's going to struggle in some games. And look, especially when you have we go up against teams where guys are, you know, like you're going to be a different source of length, power, whatever the case may be. Um, LSU, I'm sorry, South Carolina is not very good, but Frank Martin teams. You think Tennessee teams are tough? Look at Frank Martin. Mm-hmm. You know. Cuban from Miami, uh, who knows nothing more than just being tough on kids. We've all seen when he was at Kansas State, just the stare. I don't have to say anything else. You all know the stare. Um, and, and you're talking about, like, look, Chandler didn't have a great game. Like, that, it's, it's that simple to me. And sometimes freshmen, they'll have a good game. They don't always follow it up with a great game. He was really – he was good against LSU. He wasn't good last night. So no, I don't. I don't think that. But I also do think that in some cases, guys, you know, coaches, players have to be kind of. You can't treat every single player the same way, but also say that like if you are a player who maybe gets in his feelings because of how hard he's been coached, it's not like it, this is not like you didn't understand. It's not like you. It's not like Rick Barnes was like you know surprised everybody with wow. He's a tough coach. We've known it, and it's yielded it's yielded for the most part really good results. And I think, look, if you're building this team up for February and March, I would I think that's going to be I think it works out well for Chandler. He goes out there, he just plays, he does a good job. I don't think he's over here overlooking looking over his shoulder. And if he does, it's probably because he's not playing the way he he should because. You know, Barnes isn't taking Chandler out and putting Ziegler in. He's putting Ziegler in and taking somebody else out. Like mm-hmm. You're still getting your 25, 30 minutes every single game, even more in some cases. I noticed their minutes were pretty similar last night. I think 25 for Chandler and 23 for Ziegler. And and as you look around, like you're not being taken out in lieu of a guy. Like your position is not in any sort of trouble. So – now, what do you do with the, the framework of the minutes you're being given? That's kind of on you. And Barnes is trying to make you the best version possible in the 25 to 30 to 35 minutes you're going to get. And when I think, again, I do think he'll figure it out, but I don't think that, look, if Barnes changes who he is for one player, then whatever people think, you know, he'll be, he could be as a head coach and competing for championships, he'll never do that again because he loses the person that he is. That's a good point. Like you said, you, you can't change who you are just for one player. It, it, that's for any sport. You, know, you, you have to treat them equally, but like you said, coach them differently. And there's, there's a distinction. You, you don't, treating and coaching are two different things. You treat a person the same way you treat any other person. But the way you coach them, the style they're receptive to is, is different, and you have to adjust that. And like you said, I, I don't think anybody who committed to Tennessee and is signed out of Tennessee came in here with the <laughs> – the notion that Rick Barnes was a soft coach or a guy who's just lackadaisical and going to let things slide. I mean, Brendan Huntley Hatfield knew that. Kenny Chandler knew that. Justin Powell knew that. I mean, both Powell and Chandler, I think both have talked about it in the media when they've met with the media. I know Powell has, where he's talked about how he, no, he wants that. He wants to be coached hard. He, he wants, he wanted to come somewhere that he wasn't going to be promised a certain amount of playing time or promised he was going to start. He wanted to go somewhere that, um, he was going to be challenged. It wasn't going to be given something. So like people, the players have said that specifically 
publicly to the media. Again, I mean, they could just some someone could be saying it just to be saying it to like make it look good or whatever. But I don't, I don't think so. I don't, that doesn't. That's not how those guys come across to me. And I, I think it's. I don't think he's overcoaching Chandler. And I, I was glad to hear you say that because I personally didn't think he was. But I again, I, I'm not the you know I'm not I've never coached basketball. I've only ever watched it and played it in middle school and played pickup games here and there. It's like I, I'm not the authority on it. But I also think it's this is a, a case of a little bit of case of I think this this fan base being more football oriented than basketball oriented. Where in football, like you live and die by every game basically, and it's a it's a 12 game season in college football for the regular season, and each game matters like. Each the magnification of each game is huge. In college basketball, you have almost triple that amount of games counting. You know, especially if you get deeper into postseason runs, you have thirty-one regular season games. You can play, you know, two or three in the SEC tournament. You can play two or three in the NCAA tournament. That right there gets you thirty-six, which again just triple what the regular season is for football. It's a little different. I look at the first couple months of college basketball in December and January the same way I would look at like the first maybe four, three and a half weeks, three weeks of the college football season. I think if you look back at the college football season for this year for Tennessee, you know, for the ball fans listening, look at where Tennessee was, the football team was after the pit game and kind of what you thought about the team after that game, kind of around that area, the, the around the pit and the, you know, before the Florida game, essentially. That's kind of where I view this team, this basketball team is right now and their development and the figuring things out and whatnot. I, we said last week, I don't know where the ceiling is for this team. I also don't know where the basement is. I like to think the offensive performance-wise, Texas Tech is the basement, and the Ole Miss game at regulation was the basement. I don't know. That may not be the basement. I don't also think that the Arizona game necessarily would be the ceiling for Tennessee. I, I don't know. Like it, it's it's hard to figure out. They're inconsistent because they're a fairly young team across the board, a bunch of guys who hadn't played with each other much before this year. And I think your point also earlier, Gene, like the the times where we talked about last week too, the times where Barnes has the most success at Tennessee and Texas and his coaching career has been when he's had the more cohesive groups who had a lot of the guys return from the past year. This, this team is still growing and figuring things out. And that's why, like, I don't think he's overcoaching anyone. I think if he was, I think you, I think there would be a little bit more evidence of it in the demeanor of the player or on the performance on the court. If, if there was overcoaching involved. So I'm glad to hear that you think that maybe someone else, maybe other people disagree. Maybe someone out there is a coach or has a, again, you has more of an insight than I do. And they disagree. If you do, let us know. I mean, I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts. Comment on YouTube or tweet at us. Again, we're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter. Let us know if you disagree with with that take because I personally don't think it. Obviously, Gene says he doesn't think it, but we're not. You know, just because we think it doesn't mean that's that's true. So I'd be interested to hear y'all's opinion. Um, well, let get, me let me go ahead, go ahead. One last thing to add. No, just one last thing to add. And this is just a a thought that was told to me over the years. Um, when a coach quits. When, when a coach quits coaching you hard, he thinks you've maxed out. So it's not now when you watch and you, maybe you clutch your pearls because, man, he's hard on It's going to be when he just sits there and just lets the guys go that he feels like they're a lost cause. Until that happens, he's not, then, then, then that, that's you're talking about a guy who's proven, who's, who's proven to getting guys to the next level who is being difficult on players. I mean, as TJ Ford, as PJ Tucker, as Grant Williams, as Admiral Schofield, the list goes on and on of guys who went through all of that stuff. I mean, like, what was it called? The fat camp? I mean, come on. I mean, you can't, it doesn't get any meaner than that. Well, whatever they called it back then. 
it doesn't get any meaner than the the the, the so-called fat camp or whatever it was that they put you know grant and admiral through and it was in the skinny camp that they put Devontae Gaines and drew pember through like they, they literally called it i think it was the skinny camp no you're right and it, it takes a certain personality to play for Rick barnes and, and, then, and again that can be a thing where people can agree or disagree on whether that's a good or bad thing it, you know does is his coaching style conducive to the way kids are nowadays you know whatever i don't i'm not trying to be a boomer whatever you want to call it with that situation but like but i think that's that's a, a good like a different talking point again i, I people can agree or disagree on whether or not that barnes is that his mentality or his coaching style works for the way things are that's a different conversation i think that'd be a good topic for another podcast we just have other things i wanted to get to but i think that's that's a different topic and one that I want to think on a little bit more before I answer it, I guess is what I'm going to say. Cause that's one that I, I'm not prepared to answer. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I do think it's tough just because it's, you know, results versus process. And that's not something you can really determine until the end of the year. How does Kennedy Chandler look in March? And is it because, and then it's the question is, is it because Rick just let him play or is it, was it because Rick was tough on him in January and February and in November and December when they were playing the sort of schedule where there's not much that's going to really scare you at that point. And you've got to be tough because every possession matters and you got to value the basketball and all those little things, all those little coach things that, you know, they want to harp on. Like in, I don't know necessarily what the reasoning is where when, when Barnes is hard on them, uh, but I'd actually have to look, I don't pay too much attention to interactions between coaches and players during a game because it happens. And um, so I, I wouldn't need to see the scenario where, where Barnes is like really lightened into him. Like, what did he do? You know, like you, sometimes you can figure it out. Maybe it's a defensive assignment that gets uh, Powell knocked out of the game or, Maybe it's lack of days of attitude and, you know, where he's, you know, kind of ripping Fulkerson a little bit here and there. But, um, like, I would actually actually have to see uh, the reasoning why he's, you know, when he chooses to be so hard in real time on, on Chandler. And do and I'd actually have to question, is what I'm seeing the definition of really hard on him or is it just he's not catering to a five-star? Like that, that would be my thing. Like, I, I, I just don't know. Well, speaking of Barnes, to get to the next question here, and this one is from Vol for Bourbon on Twitter. Do you think Barnes is performing up to the expectations that are established by the level of his contract? And we've kind of talked about this before, Gene, but, you know, Barnes is making top 10 salary in college basketball. It, basically, it's asking what I think is boiling down to is if he's getting paid top 10, is he getting top 10 results? I mean, like right now, no, but I also think we've, we've also talked about before that like salary isn't always necessarily the best indicator of expectations, especially when you look at, <laughs> as we talked about before, Tennessee, it's not like Tennessee is a rich, I mean, they, they do have rich storied history in basketball. I will say they do, but when you're looking at postseason success, like there is no comparison between Tennessee and Kentucky, no comparison between Tennessee and LSU. I mean, Auburn's had a more Auburn had a final four run just a couple years ago and they look poised to maybe have another one this year. Tennessee's had one elite eight in their entire history. Rick Barnes in the, in his coaching career that spans like 20 something years. I really, I guess you look at the past 22, three years of his coaching career, his three elite eight appearances 
And Tennessee's had one in that same time frame and one in their entire history of existence as long as the NCAA tournament's been around. So I, I think it's it's more nuanced than just saying, is he earning his $5 million per year? Is he earning, is he getting the, the results that his, his contract would determine in terms of like his monetary value? Because I don't know that like, with the expectations of Tennessee men's basketball, he's getting them, he's gotten them to a more consistent place than they've been in a while. Other, other than, you know, I guess since Bruce Pearl. And then obviously that blew up in flames. <laughs> but my point is that like, Tennessee has struggled mightily in men's basketball to have consistency. We talked about that, I think, in the the offseason, too. But for those who may not have been around back then, like Tennessee's had so many coaches in just this this millennium. They start off the they start off this this two thousands with what I think they ended it ended it with Kevin O'Neill, start with Jerry Green. Then you had Buzz Peterson, then you had Bruce Pearl, then you had Conzo, then you had Diane Tyndall, and then you had Rick Barnes. That's a lot of turnover for a program that's also gone to like five or six sweet 16s at that time in an elite eight. Like that's, they've, they've had success despite the turnover and despite the lack of consistency, but I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe just kind of talking to, you know, be talking. I'm not saying much, but I, I, I don't, I don't think to answer the actual question that Volfer Bourbon asked, do you think Rick Barnes is performing up to the expectations established by his level of contract? I think it depends. Well, the I guess the administration that gave him that contract is no longer here. But <laughs> look at the expectations of Tennessee basketball for men's, the men's side specifically. I would lean very slightly to yes, but I think if you're looking just monetary value-wise, no, because he's not getting top 10, top 15 results from this team currently, and he hasn't the past couple years. Maybe overall I should lean no. I, Gene, I, I'm like on a weird 50-50 spectrum of this one because I think historically from the way Tennessee perspective is for men's basketball, the expectation should be adjusted significantly. But if you're looking at just like monetary value compared to what he's making compared to the other kind of coaches in his salary range, then no, I don't think he is. So I think it kind of depends on what you're, where you're looking at and how you're defining the expectations of what the contract is for Rick Barnes, what it is for, for Tennessee basketball too. I remember a conversation that we had. Um, wow, I couldn't even tell you. And yeah, I posed the yeah. question the week before when we started it. Um, we did it the next week. What is Rick Barnes building in Knoxville? I remember asking that question. And because I didn't have an answer to that. Like for me personally, I did not have an answer to that. Um, and I think we discussed it and I think it was a good, it was obviously it was a great conversation because we had it, but um, what I saw there is what, I mean, what I, my belief is uh, there was a lot of success that was predicated off of some experienced guys coming in and buying into the system. It's a lot harder now to buy in, to get an entire team to buy in, I'd say to a system. Because, especially at this level, because a lot of your better players, if you're bringing five-star guys in, it's hard to keep those guys for long. You lost Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer. Uh, I think chances are you'll lose at least one of Chandler or Huntley Hatfield this offseason. You're already losing players like Fulkerson. Um, so like at some point you have to and, and look you look around college basketball it's this is not simply a Tennessee thing a Tennessee 
thing. Like Roy Williams just walked away essentially because of like transfer portal and stuff. Coach K is worn out because of things that you have to kind of do. You have to adjust what worked for you 20, 25 years ago. But what I see when I watch Tennessee play is, look, man, I had friends over the years. I've had friends that have played for Tennessee, had teammates that have played for Tennessee, uh, and people I know that have been a part of the Tennessee program, not from a reporter standpoint, just personal relationships. And I've never, the only exception being the 99-2000 season, which was pretty much just one year. I can't think of a time where Tennessee got the national acclaim and praise that they are currently getting, that they're in the midst of getting, where they're getting the high-profile basketball games, where they're just, I don't know where you pencil them in, but they're preseason top 25. It was just usually based off just the talent that you bring into the program and nothing else, because Every single year they throw Memphis up there, and I, I've just never bought. I've just never fully bought in on Penny. Um, you're always just thrown in there as a top 25 team. So, like, what's like again? Like, I guess my question is like, what's the goal? Has he has he lowered the bar? No. Has he raised it? I would say yes. To me, that's the answer. Like, like if he's got to figure some stuff out within the the con- the construct of individual games so be it but I've seen that guy you know I've seen that guy that guy won 26 games what was it five years ago with you know like a a pretty mismatched what I thought was talented but just kind of mismatched roster that it fully bought in because it's a lot easier to get some of those guys in the early years to buy into your system especially at a place like Tennessee which yeah, you're not going to really utter their name up there with some of these other people, um, with the other teams. You're not going to utter Tennessee up there with Kentucky. Um, heck, Barnes' first year was his second year. He wasn't even the best team in the state. I think I beat it home by UTC. Yep. But that team bought. But that team eventually, because those guys were there, they bought in and they figured it out. And you know, like now, it was a little bit more difficult to get these guys to buy in because. You know, some of them are just kind of just passing through. Some of them actually want to be there for the entirety of it. You're not going to necessarily get the same sort of like Fulkerson or Josiah Jordan James, although everybody always wants to get kick him to the bench and, you know, or send him to the portal like they did Garantano. Um, you're not going to get that. But what, I, what I've seen when I watch that team play is a team that I think he's doing the best he can with, like, yeah, there were some some mistakes to not maybe bring in somebody who's a little bit more experienced at the forward position to kind of give an, an additional blow. And now you're asking two kids who've never actually played post before to play post, and it's not working out so well with Adu and Huntley Hatfield. But what I watch, I think Tennessee's getting the results they want because if you keep swinging, you're eventually going to connect. And what he's doing is he's got them consistently – swinging he's consistently got those that team in the tournament he's consistently building that team for March and look man it's not like there's any rhyme or reason the year that Auburn made it to the what the final four the championship game it's not like anybody sit there and said man dark horse candidate Auburn look they got hot it's that simple they got hot Mm -hmm. hit a bunch of shots 
made the tournament. You always have them. The year that VCU made the Final Four, it wasn't like they're people were saying, "Man, better watch out for that VCU first four to Final Four. I could see it happen. Nobody saw that. Like it's just a matter of is your team built to win any number of ways? This team still probably has to figure some stuff out offensively, but I think they can win defensively against bad teams. They show they can hit a bunch of threes. Um, may have maybe haven't shown that they can kind of grind out victories, but that stuff that you are building and looking at every single game, Tennessee's what, like 18 games to the season now, 19, <laughs> something like that. Uh, so you're at a point now where you start, you, he's starting to kind of see, in my opinion, what's going to work. Like you see the rotations are starting to get a little more solidified and like, look, if, as long as you're right there in the dance every single year, like, there's no guarantee you're going to be in the dance. I mean, ask uh, Seth Greenberg about that. He was first He was first four out for, like, 26 straight years. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that you're going to be there year in, year out. Duke hadn't made the dance here in certain years. Calipari didn't make it twice. Like, there's no guarantee. There's no birthright just because you go to ten, you play for Tennessee where you've had X amount of tournaments that you're just always going to be there. And so, again, you get there. And you hope that you've built your team up in the way that I kind of feel like Barnes has. It's not always going to look pretty, but I don't necessarily care so much about the regular season. I care about are you building your team up for the postseason. And from what I've seen, game in, game out, they have. Like, it's just Tennessee fans, you still got a long way to go. But from what I've seen, that's a team that's figuring out ways to win because they could have easily lost last night as bad as that first half looked. I mean, as bad as it looked, that was a game they could have easily just fallen apart. And they didn't. They, you know, they got hot and they blew them out in the second half. Now we'll see what they do as we segue what they do on Saturday. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about that here in a second. Um, but I think you made a good point. And I was thinking, too, that, you know, I, I think some of the frustration with the Vol fans isn't even that, like, because then, like, Barnes is having, you know, the same seasons he's having his first couple of years here or Donnie Tindall years or – even necessarily like the the Conzo Martin years where you're struggling to be a couple games above 500, like they're, they're 11 and four. Last year was considered still kind of a down year, and you're 18 and nine, which in a COVID in a regular year you have won 20 games because that was a COVID shortened year. In a in a regular season, that's probably a 20 21 win team, which not not bad. Like not that's not bad at all. Um, but I think the the frustration is yes, the, the expectations as you said, the bar's been raised. Now we want to see that bar be leaped over. We want, we want to see, I think fans are wanting to see, yeah, okay, we're, we finally, looks like we're getting more consistently better players in here, consistently good play, enough to get to the NCAA tournament. Can we get over the hump? And that's the big question is, can Rick Barnes get Tennessee past the Sweet 16? Because, you know, the best team he's had here so far was that Sweet 16 team that, I mean, they were they were very close to getting to the to the Elite Eight in that, that season. But it's it's also tough because I don't want to just judge a coach in college basketball just on the postseason performance because like you just laid out like it can be fickle on who has there's been plenty of really good teams who have been bounced in the first weekend or have bounced in the Sweet 16 over the last 20 30 years and and teams like you said who just got hot George Mason you know look at what they did back in what 2006 look at Little Chicago a few years ago like th- those are teams that no one thought would even get past the the first weekend let alone make a run to the final four like they did and even the Auburn team I thought that year was a, was a very good team 
But I thought they'd be out by the Sweet 16. And, and when they play Kentucky, I thought there's a good chance they lose to them in the Elite Eight. But again, they made it to the Final Four. And I, I just I hesitate to judge a coach strictly on what they do in March and April or, you know, whatever postseason play. Because I think the regular seasons that Barnes has had since he's been good and they've been very solid uh, for the most part. I think he has raised that bar. Now, can he help get this program to a place where it's not just enough to make it to the NCAA tournament and maybe win a game or two? Can they get consistently two Sweet 16s and maybe get to a couple of Elite Eights? And maybe he's not the coach. But maybe he's the guy who helps who helped write the boat with all the mess you have with Konza leaving, Donnie Tyndall's mess, and then having three coaches in three years. And after all the, all the Bruce Pearl fiasco, just not too long before that, maybe he's the coach that provides, you know, some solid, consistent foundational play for 10, 11 years. And the next guy that comes in has a much better, uh, less rocky boat to take over and actually has a good roster, a, a healthy program to take over, which Tennessee hasn't had. Tennessee hasn't had a coach come in to take over a healthy program and I wasn't alive back then, but I'd say probably since the transition from Ray Mears to Don DeVoe, like, because Alan Houston tanked it. So when Kevin O'Neill came in, it wasn't like that was great. When Kevin O'Neill left, it wasn't like Jerry Green had a whole lot to work with. I mean, there was recruiting there, but like there wasn't a healthy program at that point. You'd had basically a decade of, of nothing. And then when Jerry Green left, Buzz Pearson threw that down the toilet. When Bruce Pearl came in, didn't have a healthy program to take over. If, even if Barnes doesn't get Tennessee to the next level, if nothing else, I think he's at least done what Tennessee has lacked for a long time. That's have consistency and have a guy who's, who has been here for seven, eight, nine, ten years. And the next guy that comes in after him has a much better situation to walk into than a Tennessee coach has had in a, in a very long time. So my, my final thought on this, um, I think you, from what I've gathered, are a Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'm a, I'm a Miami Marlins fan. So, like, what's the better determinant of how good your program is? Because if you look at the last five years, you're, you're talking about uh, Tennessee has consistently been there. Like, they've consistently been in the tournament. I still think that they could have snuck their way in right before COVID. I think that they, they, had, they were a couple wins away. That was certainly a, a possibility. Um, like there aren't that many teams. I don't know. I mean, I could be way off base on this. I don't know how many teams have quali- who have qualified for um, the postseason in like five consecutive years within the SEC. Because if Tennessee wasn't going to the NCAA, they were going to the NIT that year. They went to the tournament last year. Um, the two years before that, they were obviously in the NCAA tournament. Like, yeah, the VCU, the George Mason, those things, like even Auburn, um, like all those things are nice and they're great, and, and I get it, but we can't. I know it's real easy with the media and stuff to devalue like regular season accomplishments. Mm-hmm. I know it's very easy for people to do that, and a lot of times people will do that now because. You know, there's a lot of people who just tuned into college basketball yesterday because college football ended on Monday. Right. And right. and so, like, there's a lot of people who will just completely devalue that. Oh, it doesn't matter. You still have a tournament. But it's that mentality. You can't have it both ways. You can't get mad about regular season wins and losses. Um, 
but make po- I mean, you, you can't just be nonchalant about regular season wins and losses and put everything in the tournament when you're not watching the regular season. You can't get pissed off about what happens in the regular season if you're trying to make it all about the tournament. You can't. It's just I don't know. I don't understand how it works that way. Well, you know, to me, so like I said, everything is about building your team. And every single time I watch Barnes' teams, he's building those teams for February and March. And as I, as I said, like you keep taking enough swings at the, you know, swings at the ball, you're eventually going to connect. And like, do I think Tennessee can win four games in March? Why not? Because guess who wins those games in March? An electric point guard. What does Tennessee have? Look, just look year by year. You know, there was no tournament in 20, but everybody thought that Dayton had a really good chance. And yeah. they had a kid, I think his name was Jalen Crutcher, who was uh, who was a really good point guard that year. And they had a kid who actually transferred from UTC named Rodney Chapman, who was also on that team. Another really good point guard for that team. Last year, you had the Mitchell kid who's played for the Kings now. Um, the year before that, it was Virginia. Yeah, who had, you know, a, a good point guard and elite two-way wing in Kyle Guy. And obviously they had the kid who's with the Hawks, now DeAndre Hunter. They had got like, you look, it's usually one of these sorts of electric performances from an from a younger kid and combine that with some experienced guys. Like Tennessee has that. You know, like a kid like Josiah, I mean, before my computer, my poor computer died, I was looking at the plus-minus stuff of last night's game. Josiah the best plus-minus on the team. Um. Like that's the that's the type of kid you can win with in March. It won't always look good, but when it looks good, Tennessee wins. I go yeah. back to the Kentucky game a couple of years ago, uh, the the one that Fulkerson just went crazy offensively, and Pons went crazy offensively. Um, you, you you know those you, those are the sorts of games, those are the sorts of players that you can win games with in March. It doesn't always have to look good. There will always be people, I guarantee there were VCU people that were irritated with what was going on because maybe they had higher expectations, but nobody else did. You look at some of these other teams, there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I think that Kentucky team that won a championship a decade ago lost to Indiana on like a last second shot. I'm pretty sure they showed it. I'm pretty sure to this day they still show it on ESPN. Um, Like there are going to be bumps along the way. But are you building this team up, and do you have a roster that you think can compete in March? And for that, I think they do. Now, because, like, again, I guess my question to all the listeners is, which one matters more? How you're handling the regular season aspect of your uh, of your se- season, or are you, I mean, what you do in March? Like, if, I go, if Tennessee goes 19 and 12, but then wins the SEC tournament and makes it to the Final Four. Do you care about that 19 and 12? That was all part of building the process, building the roster to make yourself its best version in March. And look, it stinks at times. There's a lot of times where people will look and be like, man, last Georgia football fans, did they think they were going to be where they, where they are right now after uh, the SEC championship game? It's not always going to look pretty. Not everybody's going to be that Alabama football team of last year. It's not always going to look pretty, but – Man, like, not everybody wants to see how, you know, um, sausage is cooked, I guess you could say. They just want to see the sausage sitting there. They just want to know. And guess what? It's life. If there's one thing we understand over the past two years as a country, it ain't easy. Yeah, I mean, and to your point, like, that, that team 
to go back a little bit too, and we had a really quickly got to get to the last question, then get to, to the Kentucky game too. But like that team that was number one under Bruce Pearl for a week and, and won 31 games that year, like they, they lost in this week 16 and they, they won, you know, went 31 and five. And, and team, you know, fans are mirror that team specifically because of that Memphis Tennessee game. Like fans remember that team, and they remember how close that team actually did get to the Elite Eight because that was, I think, remember correctly, that was the year that uh, they lost that heartbreaking game against uh, Ohio State. But the team that made the the Elite Eight run, it wasn't like they had a they had a great they had a really solid regular season, but they were they're consistently kind of around. They were top ten preseason, and they hung around kind of that fifteen to to. 14 kind of range for most of the year. In fact, they were at one point almost slipped out of the top 25 and in, in, in mid February, but they finished the regular season 23 and seven. Very solid. That's, that's respectful. That's a very solid record. They, they beat Kentucky, even number two, Kentucky uh, in late February that year, but they'd also had some, some losses to a USC earlier that year. They lost to Purdue earlier that year. Um, they lost to Georgia in basketball, which Tennessee doesn't do very often, especially not really good teams. They lost to Vandy. Actually, they lost to Vanderbilt twice that season. So, like, you, you had, you know, things we're looking at that team going, okay, that was, you know, their head-scratching losses that season. And then Tennessee goes and makes, I think they make it to the SEC tournament uh, championship against Kentucky and, and lose that game pretty badly. Um, but then again, they go they go into the, the Elite Eight run there. They finished during the season 23-7 and with some head-scratching losses. This team, I think, is very capable of <laughs> doing the same thing, finishing, like, 21 and nine and, and having already had a couple losses, you're like, man, that, that was a bummer. And probably having a couple more where you're thinking, man, that's a bummer. But like, like you said, if you go 21 and nine and then you make it to the elite eight or make it to the final four, how much are you going to really remember and care about that 21 and nine? Cause I don't think anyone remembers Tennessee going 23 and seven in that 08 or the 09, uh, 10 team. They remember that lead eight run, and that that's that's the main thing you remember is the Wayne Chisholm's and the JP Prince of that year, and and what they did in, in come tournament time. Not necessarily what they did as much in the regular season. You remember the Kentucky win because you always remember Kentucky win. They beat Memphis that year too, but like you remember that in the Kansas game that year too. You remember because that was obviously a that was a huge one because it was upset number one, but also all the stuff that happened beforehand with Tyler Smith and Brian Williams and all that stuff that happened. But like. I don't think people remember the record. They they don't remember as much of the losses that happened that year that were kind of head scratching. You remember more of the uh, the big time moments in that one. I think this the same way. If Tennessee goes on and has success in the postseason here, fans will remember the win over Arizona. They'll remember if Tennessee beats Kentucky this weekend or in Thompson Bowling. They'll remember that, and then of course they'll remember the the run of postseason. So I think it's a that's a good point, Gene. Uh, really quickly before we do talk about the Kentucky game, um, Andrew Davis on Twitter asked if we had any leads in the twenty twenty two recruiting cycle or will it just be bj edwards and transfers for tennessee i want to cover that really quickly there there are a couple of names that have have emerged for tennessee on, on the recruiting board for the 2022 class angel Mon, montas i think his name angel something um yeah, angel montas is one um oh my goodness i'm struggling to remember um there's judah mint says another one to keep an eye on for tennessee uh those are two ones there's one other one who tennessee offered recently who i'm blanking on all of a sudden I'll go back and look at our Twitter handle because I remember retweeting it when he got the offer um, a while ago. But Tennessee has has a couple of guys on their um, radar in the 2022 cycle to pair with BJ. That were just a matter of you know if they're going to add them, and, and most of them are post players, which I think is the last piece that Tennessee definitely needs to add in this 22 cycle and from a recruiting perspective. Um, but Proctor, that's the kid's last name. His last name is Proctor. I don't remember his first name now. 
But anyway, um, I think it's going to depend. I think you'll probably see another transfer to be added, but I think it's also going to depend on the roster situation. I think it's why you're not seeing a bunch of traction right now because the roster for the next season is kind of in flux. You know, Kenny Chandler probably gone after this year regardless. Um, do you, how many transfers do you have off the roster? You know, Fulkerson's when he graduates isn't going to count because he's using his COVID year, so it doesn't count against the scholarship count right now. Does someone does do you have one, two, three players transfer from this team this year? And if so, you know, that frees up more spots. So you have more spots to add more players. So there, there are a few names to keep an eye on there, Andrew, but um, I mostly think you won't really know until probably May, June, July. A lot of the guys that Tennessee added this past cycle weren't until um, the late spring slash summer periods. Like it's like Isaiah Ziegler, Jonas Adu, Brandon Helmy Hatfield, Justin Powell. Those are all guys that were added, you know, after the season was over and, and pretty deep into the cycle. So don't really have a whole lot. I have a few names to give you there, but really I think it's going to just determine on, on what the roster looks like and, and the attrition or, you know, whatever changed this upcoming off season. But Gene, we got to close out the podcast here um, over an hour and now and talk about this upcoming Kentucky game. Cause um, I don't have a great feeling about it. <laughs> Being honest, just seeing uh, how Kentucky has played this year and the physicality they play with and how good they are on both ends of the court, uh, specifically how incredibly talented Oscar Sheway is and how I'm afraid he is going to just absolutely dominate Tennessee's post players, especially with uh, Fulgerson still being kind of, I think he, he bounced back a little bit against South Carolina, but uh, he, he still not quite himself, but really quickly here in the like five ish minutes when I can talk about this game, because it's gonna be tough <laughs> to say the least. It's in it's in Tom, not Thomas Bling, it's in uh Lexington, it's in Rupp Arena. I don't know, Gene. I I, I would love to see Tennessee win this one. I just don't I, I think they match up maybe you actually match up better with Kentucky than they do LSU, uh, in terms of the style of play, in terms of the the height disadvantages and stuff too. Aside from Sheway, I mean you have Jacob Toppin who's also six nine and, and Damian Collins who's six nine, but those guys don't don't contribute as much. But Really quickly, Gene, like this team, this this Kentucky team we talked about in the preseason, they were going to bounce back after last year. How much was the big question? They've bounced back quite a bit, I think. And uh, I'm curious your thoughts on it here as we, we're closing out the show because I, I I don't have <laughs> I don't have high aspirations for a win. I think Tennessee will keep it close, and I think Tennessee's defense will do a good job uh, of forcing turnovers and, and making it close for for a while. But it's in Rupp Arena where Tennessee is not had a lot of success. No teams really had a lot of success there except for Kentucky. Kentucky does a really good job of not turning the ball over and has a really good assist to turnover ratio. So it doesn't, it just doesn't seem like a, a fantastic matchup in my opinion on paper for Tennessee. No, um, I think I agree. And it's just going to be interesting. Could this be one of those focusing games where he gets uh, the Kentucky big and foul trouble? Like, that's one way you can maybe affect what they want to do because, I mean, that kid's going to grab 15 rebounds. I don't know an awful – I don't know an awful lot about uh, about Kentucky. I know they've got the two – I think they've got two guys who are like, kind of expected to be shooters and Grady and uh, Mintz. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Wheeler healthy? Um, Last I checked, I think he, he, he's been out for the last few weeks. I think last I checked – I think he's questionable. I don't. I don't know. I, that, that'll be. We'll probably a little bit. Little, know a little bit more Thursday or Friday on that one. 
Yeah, but um, I mean, regardless, they've got the Washington kid. That's a really that's a good that's a really good player. I yeah. think he he had like a double figure assist last week. Um, so look, I mean, like there are certain times where the games there are certain games that are, are kind of like statement games, I guess you could say. And somebody's going to it, look. Everybody loves to post Rick Barnes's record against John Calipari. Um, but usually the issues with some of those other teams were Barnes's his his teams like those in those two years, uh, I guess it was what 17, 18 and 18 and 19. Um, those teams had like experience where obviously, you know, Calipari was really fully bought into his whole one and done model. Whereas now Barnes is dealing with some of the same stuff to where he's not sure about that roster. He's not exactly sure about all the pieces yet. He's still trying to figure stuff out. Even as we we've now reached uh, mid January and look, I, I guess you could say somebody could go out and have a great game. Josiah seems to always play well. They're focused and obviously had the really good game a couple years ago. Um, I, again, I don't remember what uh, Josiah did last year. Oh, that was the game where the two guards went off, right? Yeah, one one of them had 27 points, I think, in that game. Keon or Jaden, I forget which one it was now. I think Jaden. Yeah, and, um, you know, like this is a different sort of team. Like, like I think what uh, – it's hard to really kind of figure out exactly – what to expect because each year is different in Lexington. But look, man, Kentucky's prone to a bad game too. See Notre Dame. Yeah. Now this game is in Lexington. I'm pretty sure that one was in South Bend. Um, I, I think that it's hard for me to get too wrapped into this. I, I'll be I'll be interested to see if Washington has to go. The matchup between Washington and Chandler. Can they make it about the game or will they make it about themselves? And will one of them make it about themselves and the other make it about just winning the game? And if that's Chandler who makes it about the game, because I think that's what happen, happens in these sort of high-profile point guard matchups, especially two freshmen, because they it was just a year ago. Now, I think Washington reclassed, if I recall. I mean, I may be wrong there, but um, you're talking about two guys who have seen each other on different circuits. So it feels almost like an AAU tournament because you're looking at that kid, he's looking at you. Um, that would be a fun matchup. How Tennessee handles um, uh, Oscar, I'll just say Oscar, 34. I don't number him, I always yeah. his name. But yeah, um, how they handle him, that'll be something that's really interesting to watch. And can, what what Josiah Jordan James shows up. Because if the good one shows up, who's actually hitting some shots, because he's always good. He's never bad. It's just he doesn't always hit shots. He always knows where to be. He always fills the stat sheet up with a lot of different things, but just can't hit shots. Um, if the kid, if the Josiah Jordan James who hits shots shows up, I think Tennessee has a chance. But he's going to have to do some. He's going to have to produce something offensively for that to be the case. Um, yeah. And here, here's a fun fact: he's, where, he's never played. He's never actually never played Kentucky at home. He's only ever played them on the road because he's been hurt or absent. The Two times Tennessee played him at home in his first two years, but he, he had, to your point, in the win at Rupp last year, he had a ten and ten. He had double double, ten points, ten boards. 
the year before that when Tennessee won and Rupp Arena again too in, in 2020, he had 16.7 boards, five assists, two steals. <laughs> and uh, and I was, yeah, I think what I remember writing about that game was he was like a plus 26 in that game or something. Yeah, he was, he was really crazy. good that game. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, yeah, Fulkerson obviously I think had 27. I think Eves had like 20. But I don't think their plus minuses weren't Josiah's. Um, it's not, look, it's not a perfect measurement, I'll be the first to say. Um, but if you're always pretty high up in the plus minus, then that answers the question, why Why does insert coach here play insert player here? It's because they're doing the right things when on the court. And look, man, I spoke with somebody Saturday night who called me and started the conversation off by asking me who was the most overrated five-star of all time. This is a coach who's on, who I'm really close with. And he was kind of trying to get with Josiah. And I'm like, he's like, I understand all the other stuff. But still, he can't hit a shot. And I'm like, well, and then right, I think right around that time, he missed a shot against LSU. But I get it. So I, I completely get it. It's He's an extremely frustrating guy because you see the star ranking. You see the athletic – you know, you see the, you know, the godly like stature he has with 6'6", 210, strong. Uh, you see all the, the, the sort of skills and abilities, but like it doesn't always click. And um, I'm always partial to role guys. Role guys, I, I was uh, always the sort of guy who wanted to be like more, you know, I wanted to do a lot of different things on the court, but so I'm partial to a guy like Josiah. But how he plays on Saturday will de- will determine if they win. And he hasn't played bad in Lexington yet. Nope. Yeah, he's averaging almost a double double his, his two games there. But uh, I, we talked for a long time, and I hate to cut it off here because we talked for a, long, a little bit more. But I got to run here, guys. So in, in the the podcast here, in the video, in the show here. So again, if you're all watching on YouTube, thank you so much, and subscribe while you're here. Share this video. Share the podcast as well. Again, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Podcast, everywhere you get podcasts. Uh, Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter, Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. And again, thank you all so much. This is our first video podcast with Gene here. So, buddy, it's been good seeing you. It's been good talking basketball, and we'll see how the game goes Saturday. So, yeah, Josiah Jordan James is a perfect 2-0, and and, and, like, and as far as I know, he's not going to miss Saturday's game. Hopefully I didn't jinx him. But, <laughs> guys, we, we appreciate all of you all so much for listening in. We have a Lady Ball basketball podcast you can go watch slash listen to as well if you missed that from uh, a little bit earlier this week. Lady Balls are on fire. They're back in the top five. Uh, it's just a great time to be a, a Vol fan right now because of, of basketball and, and the way things are going. So, guys, talk to you all later. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, share this again, and, and we really appreciate it. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.